Hello friends, how are you? Um, Edith here with another episode of my podcast, Soundtracking. Thank you once again for making the choice to listen to us. I know when I say this most weeks, there is so much choice out there when it comes to podcasts and what you can listen to. So Ben, who works on the show, and I really appreciate you taking the time to have a listen to us. Um, and just really lovely to have you along if you are a new listener or if you have been with us along the way in our 250 episodes, which is crazy to think. But we, well, I'm so proud of it. And I just, it's my favourite thing to do, if I'm being honest. And it's been a very busy week, actually, in terms of booking guests for future episodes. We've got so many exciting guests coming up. Um, but I'm not going to share that with you right now. I'm going to do some posting up on our socials about that. So if you aren't already following us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, we are at Soundtracking UK. Um, and I will put up some details about some very, 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 very exciting future guests that we have coming up on the show. But right now to this week. Now, I spoke to our latest guest on Soundtracking. Now, I think it was in the midst of the very first lockdown. It was a very long time ago. Um, but also before we knew what an extraordinary impact this particular film was going to have on lovers of cinema. So since chatting to Florian Zeller, his directorial debut, The Father, has had all manner of critical acclaim and recognition, including the award for Best Adapted Screenplay from Florian's own play and Best Actor for Anthony Hopkins at this year's Oscars. Now, I have to say, Florian is the most wonderful human being to talk to and you'll hear what he has to say about his brilliant piece of work very, very soon. But first, a word from our friends at Calm. Now, whilst it is starting to feel like the end of the very stressful ride that we've been on might soon be upon us, fingers crossed that's not going to change, the journey isn't quite over yet. So if you are feeling low or down or in need of a mental reset, this could be the perfect time to give Calm a try. Calm is the number one mental wellness app and gives you the tools to improve the way that you feel. Clear your head with guided daily meditations, improve your focus with Calm's curated music tracks and drift off to dreamland with Calm's imaginative sleep stories. Narrated by soothing voices like Stephen Fry and previous guests on this show, Killian Murphy. I know that as a mum and personally, I've been using this. It's such a great tool to have. My kids have been having trouble sleeping over the past few months due to many things. My oldest has had exams and Calm has been an incredible and very useful and helpful tool. And if you go to calm.com forward slash sound, you'll get a limited time offer of 40% off. That is huge off a Calm premium subscription, which includes hundreds of hours of programming with new content added every week. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds, so why not join them? Sleep more, stress less, live better with Calm. For listeners of the show, as I said, Calm is offering a very special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription. So head to calm.com forward slash sound. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash sound for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. And so to Florian. Now, I'm not going to lie, there is not a huge amount of music in The Father, so we don't talk that much about it at any great length. Rather, focusing on the very skillful way he tells a very challenging story 
And I'm also going to suggest that if you haven't seen it yet, stop listening right now because it really is one of those films best watched with as little foreknowledge as possible. That said, there is some music courtesy of the wonderful Ludovico Anaudi and it's with Ludovico's cue, My Journey, that we begin. Florian, how are you? I'm fine. What about you? I'm not bad at all, you know, trying to survive in this crazy new world we find ourselves in. Yeah, me too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But enjoying having wonderful things like your film to to uh, to entertain and transport us. Congratulations on the film. It's it's absolutely beautiful. It really is. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, can we start by going way back to 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 when you I you know when you when you wrote the the play, which is 2002, you tell me, and, and I'd love to know what the, what the catalyst was for, for writing the, the play, first of all. Yeah, I, th- I wrote the play, I think, in eight years ago, something like that. And uh, at the very beginning, it was probably like a personal challenge to write that play because like so many people uh, had been connected to this sad issue, which is probably the saddest issue of our time. But... Um, because I have been raised by my grandmother and she was like my mother and she started to suffer from dementia when I was 15. So I was directly connected to, to this. And, but very quickly when it was on stage in Paris, I, I was, because I was surprised to, to see how the audience respond to it because I, I was not certain that people would be open to such a journey. And it was every night it was the same. And after in every country, it was the the answer. The response of the audience was the same. People were coming to us after every performance to share their own story and to share uh, their own emotions. And that's when I realized something was uh, at stake here because I think movies and art in general are here are here to you know to make people feel like they are part of something bigger than themselves. And I think that this is the, the moment when I made the decision to to try to make that film. <laughs> <laughs> and was it, is it a very different process when you sit down and you, you're writing for film? Because you obviously have the framework of the story there in terms of it's a play and then transporting that towards, to, into a screenplay for the screen. Is it, what is that process? Is it very different? Are you thinking about it, you know, in terms of, you think, I guess you were thinking on a different, differently, vi- different visually, sorry. Yes, of course. And what I didn't want to do is just to film a play because I think it's not very challenging and it's not very exciting. And I wanted to to do something as cinematic as possible and to do what the cinema can do and what only the cinema can do. 
I, I kept the narrative of the play, which is basically to try to tell that story from the inside, as if the audience was in a labyrinth trying yeah. to figure it out. And it was a, play, a way for me to play with the feeling of disorientation of the audience. And I, I was very excited about that challenge. So this is from the play and I kept it. But, you know, when you start thinking of an adaptation, the first uh, ideas you have or the first advices you get is always to try to write new scenes uh, outside with outdoors to make it feel more cinematic. And here, yeah. I, very quickly, I made the decision not to do so and to try to stay in a single apartment because I wanted that space to become like a mental space and to to use it as the cinema can do. And so I made the decision very quickly to shoot in a studio so that I had the, the freedom and the liberty to do exactly what I wanted, to remove a wall, to change the proportions. And because yeah. the, the apartment itself, the set itself, very quickly became one of the main uh, thing of the narrative. You know, I remember when I wrote the script, I, I drew the layout of the apartment from the very beginning as if it was one of the main characters of the story. And, and so you, at the beginning of the film, you are in Anthony's apartment. Uh, you know, there is no doubt about it. You, re, you yeah. recognize his space, his knickknacks, his furnitures. And, and there, okay, so you know where you are. And step by step, the apartment has there are small changes or small metamorphoses of the apartment. And it's always in the background because I, I didn't want it to be too obvious. I wanted the audience yeah. to be in this strange position, you know. At the same time, you know where you are, but something something had happened. You cannot tell exactly what happened, but something had happened so that you're starting to be a bit lost or doubting about what is real, what is not real. And it was the way for me, always in the background, to play with that feeling of disorientation. And uh, so it was, it was something really exciting for me to, to find the delicate balance on, uh, on, on the design and the set. And I worked with Peter Francis to do so. And it was uh, something, I think, very cinematic, something that could not be done on stage. Absolutely. And I think that that's the thing as well that I found, because so many times that we've seen productions about um you know dementia or or, or various kind of de brain degenerative mm -hmm. conditions is that it's from the point of view of the of the person witnessing it as as opposed yeah. to the person experiencing it and i think that that's the wonderful thing about your film is you the way that you are using all these kind of brilliant techniques be that the the apartment is a way of of enhancing that disorientation that you know that Anthony's going through that that you do go through when you are experiencing this you know as yeah. a, as a person as a human uh, i think it's so so clever thank you but on on the other hand i I didn't want it to be too obvious, meaning I didn't want the audience to be, after five minutes, to be, okay, I got it. I'm in the main character's yeah, no. head. Meaning that, I, I want, because what I profoundly believe is that the audience is intelligent. And so I, I, I didn't want to make it too easy for them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know oh, you're still guessing. I thought I was watching a thriller to start with. Yeah, I mean, the I was film... like, someone's going to kill him. Or, you know, it's kind of like, they want his flat, they want his money. But that's the clever thing about how you... You've written it is it's kind of like the un the un the gentle and kind of subtle unveiling of of the story. Yeah, it's it, the film starts like a thriller because you know yeah. in the main character's perspective he's not ill. There is just something wrong about the situation because there is like a stranger in his own apartment 
pretending that this is his own apartment. So uh, the feelings you get here is uh, anxiety, uncertainty, and, and, and Anthony Hopkins is the master to create wow. these kind of feelings. So, so in a way, I think the film is like a puzzle, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. you, can, you can play with all the pieces to make it work. Uh, yeah. You can play with all the combinations. It will never yeah. work entirely because there, there is al- always a piece that is missing on purpose yeah. because I wanted the audience to be in an active position, to be just trying to figure it out, trying to understand. And the moment comes when you understand that your brain is not capable to understand everything and yeah. you have to let it go. And when you let it go, you can understand the whole story on another level, which is a more mm. emotional level. And yeah. even though the journey itself of the film is sometimes complex, you know, you're never quite sure who is this new character and this scene, is it before or after? Mm-hmm. Even though I'm pretty sure that in the end of the story, everyone is able to, to tell what is the story, what are the emotions, what, yeah. what exactly we went through. So I wanted yeah. to have at the same time something complex, but also very simple. And the simple territory was the, you know, the pure emotional uh, territory I wanted to explore with Anthony. So Anthony Hopkins, I mean, his performance in this is just, it's so beautiful. They're just so truthful and so kind of raw as well, I think. Am I right in thinking that you wrote the film, your screenplay with him in mind for this role and that it only could really ever be him in an English version of this? Yes. Yeah, mainly that's the reason why I made this film in English because I'm French, as you can hear. <laughs> and, uh, really? It, uh, and, and so it, it, was, it was a bit um, challenging for me to, to, to do a film in English. But uh, when I started to, to, to write that script, the, the one and only phrase that came to my mind was Anthony's. And I remember when I, when I spoke with my friends at that time, they were a bit laughing at me uh, because this is my first feature film and he is Sir Anthony Hopkins. But, you know, until someone comes and tells you it's not possible, it means that yeah. potentially it is. And most of the time we are the ones who close the door of what is possible and what is not possible. So this time I made the decision not to close that door and to follow my instinct. <laughs> and so I sent the script to his agent and, uh, and I waited a bit, but uh, one day someone, I, I, I didn't recognize the phone number and someone called me just to let me know that Anthony wanted to, to meet with me. So I took a plane to Los Angeles to have breakfast with him. And this is how it started. <laughs> but it's true that that's the reason why the main character's name is Anthony in the script. Mm-hmm. It's, all, it's because it made me feel a bit more real <laughs> uh, yeah. when I wrote it. But also I wanted him to know and to be aware that it was written for him. Yeah, And also it was like something between he and I that it was a way to, to, to let him understand that it will be the opportunity to use what is real in him. You know, his own oh. uh, the feeling of mortality is on fears without being forced to talk about it and to have like a talking, talking about it. Just to know that this background, this personal background, emotional background could overwhelm the whole film. Yeah. It's an extraordinary performance. And then I take it that when you when he said yes, then everybody else was just like, yeah, I'll do it if, Ant- if, if Anthony Hopkins is doing it, I'm in. Because the cast yeah. is extraordinary. But they all have they all have a kind of, you know, you were talking about kind of pieces to a puzzle. It's almost like Anthony is that kind of central 
piece of the puzzle and then all these different characters connect to him mm. in a in 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 their own unique way so whether that be Olivia Coleman's character or the other Olivia's character or Imogen for example you know they all have their own unique relationship with the character of Anthony which i think is brilliant thank you for that I, i'm i'm aware that i'm very very lucky to have this amazing cast uh, in in the film Olivia Colman, I have to say, I have always adored her. I know I'm not the only one, <laughs> but I've known her. She's our queen at the minute. She's yeah, our queen. I know but she's always our queen. You know, Queen Queen Anne. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like so many people, I've known her for years through series and, and films mm. and stage as well. But there is something very magic about her. Magical? Magic? Uh, yeah, magical, yeah. Magical about her is that as soon as you meet her, you love her. And as soon as you see her on stage, you feel empathy with her. She has this very specific thing. And I knew that for the film, it would be exceptional to have her because it was not only the story of that man losing his bearings. It was also the, the, the story of his daughter trying to figure it out, facing this painful issue, uh, this painful dilemma, because we all has... We all have, sorry, a father, and we we all have to, or we we will have to deal with this kind of dilemma, you know, which is basically what do you do with the people you love when they are starting to suffer uh, from dementia, for example, and, and and so I knew that that film to make it work needed someone you feel empathy with immediately. It it was like a door again that you could open to understand that whole film different way in, in a more human way because she's so if it means anything but i but i think it means something she's so human you know she she brings something human uh, on stage and also on set you know working with her makes everything simple humble yeah. uh yeah. and joyful because if only we could if only we could have like the the uh, bottle the essence of olivia coleman and spread it around the world the world would be a much better place wouldn't it it's kind of i think you yeah exactly exactly and it's very concrete because you know there is genuine a, yes exactly and on set you know as soon as she's around everything is everyone is nice <laughs> 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 because it's not possible when she's around not to be not to try to be nice <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I love the I love the scene with with Imogen when they when he talks about tap dancing. That's just the most. It's like a child talking. It's the most beautiful thing. It's like oh, it's just I love one of my favorite scenes in the film. I love that scene. Yes, it's true that as soon as she comes, uh, Imogen puts uh, Anthony, the character, is like flirting with her, and um, it was very funny to shoot, especially because we knew that very suddenly, in a minute, in, in a sentence, he will twist to, to something absolutely different. It was, it was a way to play with the audience again. But Imogen, she, she, she's great because she's, I, I saw this character like something like a son, you know, like a, in, in this small apartment. I mean, it's not, it's not a small apartment, but it's a small space to shoot. And it, it was just a, a Londonian apartment. And we never go out of it almost and and so she was like the light and she was like the sun in the whole story yeah how did you um 
When you were working out how the film would, would sound in terms of if you'd have music and how that would work, and was that easy to kind of to navigate so that it wasn't it, there wasn't any kind of manipulation in there, I guess, for the audience? Because that's, you know, sometimes music is, is used in a way to to kind of go, you know, this is how you need to feel as an audience and stuff. So kind of, yeah. you know, because there's very little music in the, in the films. Yeah, there are, there are not so many music. And, and no. uh, Ludovico Enodi composed the music for the film, but uh, it was almost nothing, you know, just a, just a, a golden thread with a violin. And, and also, you, you know, when I when I met Anthony for the very first time, it was in 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 seventeen, uh, twenty seventeen, so a long time ago. And and he was supposed to shoot the two popes, and the two popes was a bit postponed. So my film had been postponed as well. So we had time together to to share emails and to speak about uh, the film, not really about characters because he's not a method actor, you know. And I and I knew that he was a very instinctive actor, so I didn't want to talk too much. But still, yeah. I wanted to to be connected with him, and we started to to talk about music, and we we discovered that we were both in love with uh, this area called, uh, from, taken from the, the the Pearl Fisher by Bizet, and he, he told me that story that uh, was so beautiful in my in my opinion. He said, "When I was thirty years old, uh, I discovered by by accident this music. I was I was uh, touring a play in 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 the UK, and suddenly I." I heard that music and I was so uh, taken by it that I went back to the hotel. There was a piano and I tried and I, and I started to, to, you know, to, to find the melody with the piano. And everyone, he said, became crazy because he did it for three days, you know, because he's, very, he's a very obsessive <laughs> man, obsessional man. And then he said, I have always dreamt of making a film with this music uh, in it. And that's not the only reason why I did it, but it's it, 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 a bit. I, I used that, that piece of music three times in the film so that I, I fulfill his dream three times <laughs> because he fulfilled my dream, uh, which was to make that film with him and Anthony and Olivia. Oh, the 
Wow, that's a beautiful story. <laughs> that's amazing. I love when things like that, when when kind of you know, full circle of a story and a you know of you, of you writing that for him and 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 you kind of gifting that back to him. That's a beautiful thing as well. I can totally see him at a piano annoying the people in the hotel for three days trying yeah. to work out the song as well that's incredible yeah um it's such a beautiful film i mean i, I couldn't believe that this was your first feature it's because it's so beautiful and it's just so kind of carefully layered and and constructed and the emotion the emotion is is beautiful in it. and like you say there is a kind of there's a there's a journey to go on as a viewer in terms of you kind of going kind of confused which is intentional obviously till we get to what the story is and i think it's so clever how does it compare for you in terms of working in film and working in theatre? You know, not to compare the two sort of thing, but in terms of the creative process and what you get back from it, I think, is what I was trying to get to. Yes, completely different. I'm so grateful to them, I mean, the cast and everyone on board, to have this opportunity to do exactly the film I wanted to make. And, and, and on stage, it's never possible to have exactly what you want, you know, because it's alive. And, yeah. and here to have exactly, I mean, if you do not like the film, it's entirely my fault because it's exactly what I was planning to, to do. And it's so, it's something meaningful to me to have achieved something that is close to what I wanted to do. And also, so I come from theater and what I love about theater is the fact that it is meant to disappear. You know, you're, you're trying to tell a story you're trying to create something that will disappear. And it's, it's part of the beauty of the theater. And here, I discovered the joy of working that is not supposed to disappear immediately, you know? And especially, you know, in the middle of, of this pandemia, you know, pandemic, sorry. Uh, it, it's a hard time to get film released. And there is like a consolation to understand that also it's, uh, it's cinema, it's not theater. It's a different relationship with time <laughs> yeah um do you know what's next do you know what you has has this given you an opportunity to i don't know if you had a reaction in you in terms of what this experience was to what you want to create next yes i think i i i would love to i'm working on it right now i'm, I'm i would love to you know the father is a play i wrote and it's part of a trilogy and it was a uh, part with the father the mother and the son mm -hmm. And I want. I would like to to try to shoot the sun as an adaptation of one of my plays. So it's my next project. Have you got? A, I'm not going to ask you for a name, but in the same way that you had Anthony in your head, do you have the? Do you have a visual of the the sun? Yes. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I have everything crossed for you. Thank you. Edith. That it that it happens because if you get half the results that you got with this, then it will be absolutely brilliant. Congratulations on this film. You, you, I think it's brilliant, and I think people are just going to get so much from it as well, on an entertainment level, but also just in terms of the journey. And yeah, it's a beautiful story, beautifully told. Thank you so much, Edith. Really lovely to chat to you. Stay safe. You too. I hope to see you again. Take care. Really Thanks, Florian. Bye bye. bye, -bye. Thank you. Bye.
soundtrack to The Father, that's called Wind Day One, rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Florian Zeller. My huge thanks to Florian for taking the time to talk to us. The Father is finally available to watch in cinemas here in the UK now, and I highly, highly recommend that you check it out if you feel comfortable, of course, going to the cinema. Head to edithbowman.com to catch up with all of our previous episodes and please do rate, review and subscribe to the podcast if you get a moment and haven't done so already. As I said at the start of the show, if you haven't already, please do start following us on Facebook. We are on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, as I said, at Soundtracking UK. And we really do love hearing from you, whether it's you're just enjoying the show or you have suggestions on who you would like to hear. We really appreciate it. Also, for every episode of the podcast, we make a Spotify playlist because we can't play the music in its entirety, but we'd love to give you the opportunity to do so. So for every episode, we create a Spotify playlist where you can listen to every track that is played in its entirety in the order that you hear them. So head to Spotify. In fact, on edithbowman.com, there is a link straight through to the Spotify playlist for every episode on each episode's page. Next up, very excited because it's nice when we kind of can talk about the score and the music in a film from both sides, the director and the composer. And we're going to do that for A Quiet Place too. And we also dip back into A Quiet Place with composer, the fabulous Marco Beltrami and the exceptionally talented John Krasinski. Marco and John, next week's guest on Soundtracking. But I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. <laughs>